It has been said all the world loves a love story. And so I want to uh, talk with you tonight about the greatest, what could be arguably the greatest love story in the Old Testament. It's actually a redemptive love story. And it's not just between a, a man and a woman, but uh, another family relationship in which there is a lot of love and devotion expressed. And as you can tell from the bottom of the PowerPoint slide, it's about the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth. A beautiful love story, and I already don't feel like I'll do it justice, but it's been a fascinating study uh, this past week in looking at the book of Ruth. I found um, the Bible Project does several videos about the Bible, including some overviews of each of the books, and I thought their, their overview of the book of Ruth was just excellent. And thanks to uh, many thanks to Chris Presley and Brian Hulon, uh, we're going to view that together. It's about seven minutes, um, and I can share the link with you if you have a home computer, access to the Internet, uh, where you can view this on your own. But uh, I think the sound quality is good, and uh, an artist is going to be at work. But uh, watch what they do with this overview of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. It's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in its field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi. He prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. 
So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz, and each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right, the characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life. But not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer, who's full of generosity and loyalty. And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. 
God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Ovid, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. I also could not give an overview of the book of Ruth in seven minutes. So, <laughs> but I encourage you, if you couldn't hear that very well, to, to watch the video. I found it uh, excellent. I found it excellent. I want to go back into this love story and highlight some lessons um, about this redemptive love story in, in various scenes. The first scene is in Moab. In chapter 1, it begins where in Bethlehem, there's this family of Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilion. And there's a famine in the land. And many believe that in the days of the judges, you remember in studying the book of Judges that that was a tumultuous time in the history of Israel. They would go through seven different cycles of being in a right relationship with God and then falling into idolatry and they would be overtaken by a nation. And God would often punish his people with things such as a famine. And it may just be that this was punishment from God for their uh, idolatry, for their rebellion uh, that motivates Elimelech and his family to go to the land of Moab, to go to the land of Moab. Um, which would be some uh, traveling some distance, but this is a uh, descendants of Lot, but a pagan society at this point. One of the gods that the Moabites would worship is Chemosh, uh, which was associated with um, infant sacrifice. Um, that was the, the environment in which Elimelech and his family went. While, while they go to Moab, Elimelech uh, passes away, leaving Naomi as a widow. Her two, their two sons, Malon and Kilion, marry Moabite women. They stayed in that land about ten years until both Malon and Kilion uh, passed away, thus leaving three widows. Naomi receives word that God has blessed her homeland, the land of Israel, again. And so she determines to go back. And she pleads with her two daughters-in-law to stay there in Moab. And here's what the scripture says, Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Naomi said to her, daughter, her daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. She, Naomi, is thinking about the well-being of her daughters-in-law. So she encourages them, stay in your land and marry again and find, find joy in the house of your husbands. 
they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah, verse 14, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth clung to her. Here's a part of this love story. It's the love of this daughter-in-law with her mother-in-law. Naomi tried to get Ruth to stay in Moab, but she just wouldn't hear of it. And here are some of the most well-known lines in the book of Ruth, what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where, where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. These words have been described as some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. And they reveal a loving, loyal devotion of this daughter-in-law for her mother-in-law. And if you look at her words and you think about her circumstance, a widow, a foreign widow, returning with her mother-in-law to her mother-in-law's homeland, where Ruth would be giving up her, her family. Mention will be made of her mother and father, in fact. Presumably, they're still alive. She's leaving her culture. She's leaving everything that she's familiar with. And she's leaving that idolatrous worship to worshiping the one true God, the God of Israel. When Naomi, verse 18 says, saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So one takeaway from this, from this beautiful love story is this example of loyal love. Uh, love that clings. Love that no matter how difficult it gets, it's going to stay. And Ruth expresses that loyal love, that devotion for her mother-in-law. When they returned to Israel, as the uh, Bible Project video portrayed, uh, there's a lot of excitement about Naomi returning to Israel. And could this be Naomi, which means pleasant? Naomi's response because of her state of mind, grieving the loss of her, her husband and her sons. It says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, Ruth 1 and verse 20. So her tragedy, the death and tragedy that she's experienced in her life, she says, it's the Almighty who has dealt very bitterly with me. Scene 2 is in Bethlehem. They, make, they are back in Bethlehem now. And uh, chapter 1, verse 22 says that Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. At the beginning of barley harvest. They're hungry. And so Ruth volunteers to go glean some grain, barley, and then wheat later uh, from, from the fields. Look with, and I want you to know this background. Paul Rogers writes this, According to the Mosaic law, any bundle which fell to the ground, this is when it's being reaped, any bundle which fell to the ground was to be left for the poor who followed behind, gleaning the wheat and gathering what was left. In addition, the edges of the field were to be left unharvested, reserved entirely for the destitute. Ruth, at this point, is one of those destitute. 
And so she says to her mother-in-law, let me go out into the fields as, as uh, these farmers will have left provision for the destitute and I will gather food for us to eat. Ruth 2, verses 2 and 3. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Boaz, chapter 2, verse 1, gives us this introduction. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. There's our introduction as a reader. But Ruth doesn't know whose land she's going to. She's just going out to to find some food for for herself and for her mother-in-law. And here's one of my favorite phrases in the book. It's in this verse 3. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened. I thought about this statement that I've read. Coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. Uh, I agree with the Bible Project video uh, and many Bible students that, that suggest that the book of Ruth is a wonderful study of the providence of God. How God is barely mentioned in the book, but yet his hand seems to be involved in, in, in uh, Ruth and Naomi's life. She happened to be gleaning in the field of Boaz. Boaz inquires about this foreign woman who's gathering grain in his field, and he's told about who she is and her relation to Naomi. And so Boaz uh, takes care of her. She, he instructs his reapers to, to leave extra for her. And so Ruth comes to Boaz, not knowing who he is and his relation to uh, Elimelech, and says, why have I found favor in your eyes? And watch Boaz's response. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you, given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Another application, which I didn't take time to list in the PowerPoint, is kindness. There's a theme of kindness here. I think it's expressed in Ruth's loyal devotion to her mother-in-law, how she expresses uh, deep kindness and love for her. And it's noticed by Boaz. And Boaz, in response, expresses this kindness um, and even says, because of your kindness, I'm being kind uh, to you. But I want to ask you to underscore in your mind this statement. He's basically praying, Boaz is praying for Ruth. May, may God bless you, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Boaz makes extra provisions for, 
for Ruth. And imagine this scene when Ruth goes back home and she has a lot of grain with her, and which causes Naomi to immediately ask, where, where, where did you get all this grain? In whose field did you glean this? And Ruth, of course, says to her, I work, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And imagine Naomi, aware of the relationship of Boaz to her deceased husband, is overjoyed. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. One of our redeemers. The Bible Project referred to this as a cultural practice. This was based on the law of Moses. The law of Moses provided that when a man died leaving a widow, that his brother was to marry the widow and, and, and uh, carry on the family name. The property of her husband would remain in the family. The firstborn son of that union was to be counted as the child of the dead husband and would inherit his property. This would be in the interest, of course, of the widow uh, who would be benefited by this as well. And it appears that by the time of Ruth, that the custom had extended not just to the brothers, but to the nearest relative. And so Naomi identifies he is one of our close kinsmen, a near relative, potentially at least one of our redeemers. Scene three is at the threshing floor. When the grain was harvested, the farmers would often stay out on the fields, no doubt to protect uh, their, their interests in their crop. And so here is, is Boaz uh, sleeping near his, his grain stock. In Ruth chapter 3, let me read a few verses with you. Uh, there's a plan that Naomi improvises uh, looking out for her daughter-in-law's well-being. Naomi, her mother-in-law, this is chapter 3 verse 1, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our kinsman? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. She said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So at night, when Boaz has, uh, is lying down to sleep, Ruth goes in the darkness of night, uncovers his feet, and lays down beside him. I appreciated a statement that I read that no immoral undercurrent was intended. Naomi's plan was bold and forthright. She intended to remind Boaz that he was a near kinsman and that Ruth was under his protection, at least potentially. So no impropriety, but probably reflecting a culture of that day. And so he, at midnight, he's awakened and startled to find a woman lying at his feet and asks, who are you? And Ruth replies, I am Ruth, your servant. And notice this, spread your wings over your servant, 
for you are a redeemer. You remember the statement I asked you to remember, keep in mind? Boaz basically prays for Ruth, may God bless you, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come for protection. And now here is a, a, a setting in which basically Ruth is saying, spread your wings over me, Boaz, as my kinsman redeemer. NIV states it, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And that, ex that covering her with the corner of his garment, his tunic perhaps, would be symbolic that he was willing to, to be that guardian redeemer for her and for the family. Notice what he says to her. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first and that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman or a woman of noble character. That is true. I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There was another relative of Elimelech who was a closer relative who would be in the first position to be this guardian redeemer for, for Ruth, for Naomi, that family. So Boaz sent Ruth back home to Naomi early the next morning with yet more provisions. And so scene four is at the city gate. Boaz has brought this nearer relative um, and explains the situation that he has the opportunity to be the kinsman redeemer, which would involve buying the land, but also marrying Ruth. The nearer relative is not willing to do so. And so Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have brought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And so the deal is made, and uh, Boaz agrees to be the kinsman redeemer. Not only is Ruth blessed, but Naomi is rejoicing. The neighborhood women say to Naomi, he shall be the son that is born to their union, to Boaz and Ruth union, named Obed. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. The women gave him a name, Obed. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, and thus in the messianic line. And so Ruth, you'll find her name in the genealogy of Jesus. One more lesson I want to highlight. It's a portrayal of the work of Christ, who is our kinsman redeemer. I've read that there are four Four uh, traits, four characteristics that a person had to meet to be a kinsman redeemer. Number one, he had to be related by blood to those he is redeeming. 
Uh, hence, relatives of Elimelech would be the only ones who could, who could fulfill uh, this redemption. But it also points to Jesus in this sense. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Verse 17 and 18. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus was eligible to be our kinsman redeemer because he took on flesh and blood as well. Number two, the kinsman redeemer had to be able to pay the price of redemption. That nearer relative wasn't willing to do so. So Boaz was willing to do so and had the financial means. Jesus, only Jesus, had the ability to pay the price for our redemption. That precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or without spot. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Number three, the kinsman redeemer had to be willing to redeem. Again, that closer relative wasn't willing to pay this price wasn't willing perhaps to be married to to Ruth would mess up his own inheritance so there had to be a willingness on the part of the kinsman redeemer Jesus was willing to be our redeemer though it meant giving his life he gave his life as a ransom for many Matthew 20 no one takes my life from me I lay it down of my own accord I have power to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again, he said in John 10, 17 and 18. And finally, the kinsman redeemer had to be free himself, free to fulfill this role, no other obligations. And again, only Jesus could fit the bill to pay the price for our redemption. Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He himself bore our sins in his own body, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Arguably, one of the greatest love stories in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that pictures for us the depth of love that Jesus has for us. And how are we recipients of that loyal love and the, the blessings that come with it? I'm going to borrow the language of Ruth, of the book of Ruth. We must take refuge under his wings. We must surrender our lives. We must be willing to Abide by those conditions that he has stated where we can be brought into his care. And what that is, is obeying the gospel. Uh, being brought into the family of God and under the wing, the protective wings of, of God. Perhaps tonight you're ready to do that. Perhaps tonight you desire the prayers of the church on your behalf. If that be the case, we invite you to come 
right now as we stand and sing.